previously on Unbillable Boston. So, was there a moment when it hit you that you could use your uh, charm and sex appeal to actually get ahead? I'll tell you about um, the first day I was uh, getting sworn into office. As I came by, uh, one of the gentlemen, uh, he reached over and he slapped me on the butt. Come on. I, as God is my witness, this, slapped uh, me on the butt. This is a member of the house. This is a, a very powerful member of the house. Okay. He was the chairman. Well, come on. Is and he dead now? Who is he? No, no, no. He's no. still around. Hi, no. Angelo Scasha. Thank you oh, very much. Okay. I've said this many times. Poor Angelo has to live with this. So he whacked me on the butt and he said, welcome to the hill. <laughs> So I didn't know any better, and I whacked him on his button. I said, welcome back. It's nice to be here. That was Margie Claprood last week on Unbillable Boss, and with that lovable butt slap story, she had many more. You can check out all of our past podcasts at unbillableboston.com or masslawyersweekly.com. We're grateful to Lawyers Weekly for hosting us and for archiving all of our podcasts on their website. Well, this week... You can call it Special Needs Breakthroughs. We have sort of a two-part show today. In part one, we're going to talk to Adam Goldberg, who's the CEO of MyEdGPS, which is a service web-based that helps families when their child is diagnosed with special needs. Real cutting-edge stuff there. And then in the second part of the program, which begins somewhere between the 27 and 28-minute mark of this podcast, we talked to Ned Sahin, who is the CEO of BrainPower. Uh, really breakthrough, really cutting-edge stuff with Ned. By the way, I mispronounced his name throughout the course of the uh, the podcast. His name is Ned Sahin. It's not Sahin, as I say over and over again. <laughs> Sorry, Ned. Anyway, you're going to dig this because he talks about his company, BrainPower, and how they came up with a an app for the Google Glass that does amazing things when it comes to autism therapy, helping people with autism put on these Google Glass devices and do things that they were not able to do before. It's really groundbreaking stuff. So please share this podcast, rate this podcast on iTunes. Hopefully it's a good rating. And we thank you. By the way, the voice at the very top of the podcast saying previously on Unbillable Boston is that of Adrian Yes, my son who is 16, who's on the autism spectrum, and you're going to hear me talk about him during the course of this show. And he was very proud to contribute. So without further ado, enjoy the show. This one's for you, Boston. Boston's a different city than it was 20 years ago. The hope rises again, and the dream lives on. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. The world will return to this great American city to run harder than ever and to cheer even louder. This is our f***ing city. Here we are once again. Welcome to Unbillable Boston. This is David Yaz from Morgan Stanley. Alongside me, Max Perlman, employer from Hirsch Roberts. Oh, I'm going to mess up the name of your firm again, Max. It's kind of a tradition at this point, me screwing up the name of the firm. But Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP. Yes, and as... We as get you some cue cards. I, I desperately need those. And as we speak, we're sitting in the palatial offices of Hirsch Roberts. And, and with us today, Adam Goldberg, my good friend. And might as well reveal it at this moment, Adam. My Technically and officially, my fraternity brother. 
Oh. And I, as we said, I'm giving him the the, the Sigma Alpha <laughs> Mu handshake the right now. Special shake, I love it. Hey, right, Dave, put the paddle away, please. The pa- <laughs> we, don't, we don't need that in here. Sadly, I never had the opportunity to paddle uh, Adam because we didn't technically cross over. He's a younger man than I, but we did both attend the University of Pennsylvania and sort of got. Uh, connected after that in Boston as, as Adam, uh, having completed a business degree and some efforts in business, is starting up what is uh, really a, an exciting venture. And I shouldn't say startup because you've been working on this for a number of years, but I'll give the very brief uh, you know, explanation of what you do, and then we want to hear more from you, Adam. But it's called Maya GPS, and it aims to be a service to help families who have just had their child diagnosed with, with special needs and connect them to resources, and that's a very rudimentary explanation, but how, how did I do? Yeah, you're doing okay. Not too bad? You're doing okay. okay. Well, tell us, before we get to sort of present day, you, there's uh, the way you grew up, something in your family inspired you, like, like a lot of us, and I, and I talk a lot about my son who's 16 and on the autism spectrum and inspired me to help other families in being a, a financial planner for families with special needs, but tell us your story when it comes to that. Sure, sure. So... You know, first off, I didn't expect to do anything like this. You know, I, as you said, went to business school, and uh, you, at the time, were uh, supposed to come out and do investment banking or management consulting, and I did that. I did a uh, strategic management consulting gig, and, uh, you know, talking about uh, graphing out semi-moist cat food versus dry dog food and things like that, and just said, you know what, this... uh, not for me. And I think so, you're you're sort of making an oblique reference to a lot of our classmates at the University of Pennsylvania, the, Wharton, the Wharton kids. Who <laughs> I was in the co- a certain mold. I, uh, absolutely, and you know, take it or leave it. A lot of very successful people, you know, sure. in that mold. But I was I was in the college at uh, the University of Pennsylvania, not in Wharton, the business school. You went to you were in Wharton, right? Yes. Okay. So, you know, I, I already feel a little bit dumber. But there was a gr- there was sort of a... Do, do you Wharton guys actually talk to these other guys? Vi- yeah, can you imagine that? Occasionally. <laughs> occasionally. And it was... And then all- there was the war also between the undergrad folks and the MBAs. Oh, the... And there were yeah. all these little factions. Oh, forget and, about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, right, we... We in the, in the quote unquote the college always felt like second class citizens, like just barely on the cusp of the, an Ivy League school. And for a <laughs> while, I had a friend who actually got a uh, sweatshirt that said the college, and we couldn't figure out if it was an homage to uh, John Belushi's character <laughs> in Animal House wearing this, the the sweatshirt that sort of uh, uh, fancifully just said college or the college at Penn. But anyway, so what happens next? Yeah, so I mean, it actually started way before then. I, you know, as you uh, hinted at, uh, my family was impacted uh, as well, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I was the first of all, it was my aunt uh, who was in the autism spectrum, and um, growing up at the time, you know, they didn't know what they know now, and everybody always just said she's retarded, mm-hmm. and that was kind of commonplace, you know. So, uh, Aunt Pauline was retarded. We didn't know anything Pauline, about Pauline, Pauline yeah. yeah. So we didn't know about um, Asperger's or PDD or any of these other diagnoses on the autism spectrum. Yet she was spelling bee champion of Boston. She was kind of Rain Man-esque mm-hmm. uh, growing up. And uh, there were certain ways that we as kids, uh, you know, learned um, to de-escalate, you know, tantrums and things like that. And so we knew that anytime there was, uh, you know, family dinner, uh, she would 
bust into this whole kind of what we referred to as crazy talk back then. And, and she'd also uh, suffered uh, some significant trauma. Um, and, and, you know, it made things very difficult for her, for the family. So, you know, I was this kid barely with a learner's permit, age, you know, 16 and a half, driving her as soon as I, I was able to therapies and uh, vocational pursuits and things like that. And I had to know that she's got to pull the car over when she's starting to tantrum and put on a very specific set of composers, uh, you know, classical music. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think when you grow up with that there's something that just uh, sticks with you and, when, and you know it's this notion of wanting to fight for the underdog uh, whether it's people animals you know whatever it is and, and so that was kind of where it was um, born in me uh, you know in addition to being the lemonade stand kid and the uh, odd job services and the paper boy and all that you put yeah. all that smash all that together and here I am a you know, right. special education entrepreneur when you say trauma you mean physical problems or you mean things that, that so happened we had it? suspected that there were some incidents of physical abuse not within the family but outside of the family um, but the biggest one um, unfortunately was when my grandfather was murdered uh, in front of her Oh my God. And so, you know, um, so that, you know, when when you have a neurological condition, something like that uh, is an incredible trauma. And uh, that stuck with her. So, and, and it happened, um, you know, around the time when my folks were married and coming back from honeymoon. And so they, uh, it was she started to associate that incident with, you know, my parents' marriage. So there were all kinds of really um, complicated factors around this mm-hmm. that, that made it difficult, especially difficult to comprehend as a young teenager. You know, what mm-hmm. does that really mean and why she acts like this? And you know, I don't want you to get too deep into this if yeah. you care not to, but, but tell us, can you tell us who killed him and what that was all about? Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, obviously when I'm talking about coming back from the honeymoon, I wasn't, you know, born yet. Right. But uh, my grandfather had uh, run a uh, store just like a lot of um, you know immigrants uh, you know coming into the country want to you know find a way to make a living and uh, I think it was uh, closing the store Um, a few teens followed them back after he cleared out the register and stuff to their home and uh, you know my aunt was sitting on uh, as I know the story was sitting on the front stoop and um, these guys just held my uh, grandfather up and my grandmother was in the car and you know uh so yeah a very uh you know an incredibly tragic story and and the implications uh you know for someone uh, like i said who has any neurological uh, of course, yeah. impairment um well these guys uh, brought to justice no really no unfortunately oh my yeah. goodness yeah um clear to us what your inspiration was. Now I know that your mom Leslie is a, is an, a, an accomplished uh, professional in the field of educational placement for people with with special needs. That's right. Was she uh, similar similarly inspired? I'm sorry. Is, is it her sister? Is Pauline your mom? Her sister in law was my was dad's sister. Right. Um, but yeah, she was actually okay. the one who was inspired first because this was, you know, back in the '80s, people didn't know what an educational consultant or an advocate or anything like that was. And uh, she was intrigued by it and, and got into it, um, you know, because she was passionate about helping 
uh, and also kind of getting underneath and solving these complex problems and making the right match to impact, you know, the trajectory of someone's, um, you know, someone's life. Yeah. Uh, I approached her after this, uh, you know, fateful red-eye flight doing a software deal because I was doing my business thing and, you know, software sales. And um, Unconnected to special needs at this point. Unconnected. You've yet to, totally okay, unconnected. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's what happened. You know, it was uh, late night, 3.30 in the morning, you know, cabin dark except for my light on and this, uh, you know, cocktail napkin and scratching out, you know, all the things, uh, the attributes of what I wanted to do next. And that's when I looked at... Now, was it yeah. really a cocktail napkin? Because every great business story begins <laughs> with someone this scratching out a plan on a cocktail. It did. This okay. one literally yeah. did. Yeah, it wasn't a discomfort bag. Are you sure about that? <laughs> What's that? My, the, 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 uh, the barf bag. Barf bag no, right, but we right, actually right. but we yeah. needed one last yeah. week for my son, Max. Oh, my oh, goodness. Uh, great. Yeah, that wasn't pretty. No, that's, that's a whole other... <laughs> uh, no, yeah. those do come in handy if you ever need to write something down. I agree. You know, they're they're uh, about oh, they're the right good. size. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Except Hopefully like you don't the, need it the later. Wax covered ones that you know. Oh, know. that's true. There were those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so yes, this was cocktail napkin number one. There was a subsequent cocktail napkin that was actually the sketch of what the vision of uh, Maya GPS was that I was putting in front of potential investors. But that's a whole other chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was about, you know, look, I, I want to do something, you know, to help people where we uh, can do X, Y, and Z and this and that. And when I got to the bottom of it, it was basically like. Uh, this is what my mom does. And it was just this kind of uh, nice realization, but also like, oh, come on, you know, joke's on me. I'm going to approach my mom and join her. Uh, You know, she works with, uh, you know, her peer group is a bunch of people like my mom. And I'm going to, you know, voluntarily, you know, raise my hand and say, I want to go into this, you know, for a living and representing this whole new kind of generation of, you know, educational consultants. There weren't too many of us at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so my first conference uh, that I went to, I think I realized how much of a rock star my mom was in this, you know, cottage industry. Yeah. And um, and I and impressive. I in the my world of professionals and special needs, I've you know hunted around, and and she is not only the matriarch and the guru, but one of the few that actually does this sort of full time. Yeah. Um, and so. Inevitably, you learned about her. You, you you learned that you wanted to do something very similar, and I take it the challenge became to find how to make your business a complement. We want to hear more about how you sort of took that nugget and idea, that inspiration, and built it into what you're working on today in Maya GPS. But we are going to take a break, so some of us can take uh, a visit to the restroom, perhaps, or what have you. Max, where is it, by the way? Down and to the left? Three behind me. All right. Join us back in just a moment on Unbillable Boston. This is J.W. Kearney, Jr., and my week would not be complete unless I've listened to Unbillable Boston. Yes! (laughs) Welcome back to Unbillable Boston David Yaz here with Max Perlman, alongside our guest, Adam Goldberg, who is the founder and CEO of MyEd GPS. And we've been talking about the inspiration for it. Now we want to hear actually how Adam is doing and how the business is going and how it became a real thing. And the following clip, I think, will give you 
a good sense of what Adam's mission is all about. As parents, one of the greatest responsibilities we have for our children is providing them with the best education possible. For children with special or exceptional needs, this can often be a real challenge with stretched school resources, seemingly endless paperwork, and potentially costly consulting services. You're ready to step up and advocate, but you need a better way. Introducing MyEdGPS, an online navigator that guides you step-by-step step to ensure your child gets the right help he or she needs. By answering a few simple questions, MyEdGPS will determine your starting point on the personalized roadmap for your child. The interface is simple and intuitive, providing you with a virtual binder that organizes all of your child's records and reports, a calendar to help you meet the milestones and deadlines unique to your child's roadmap, a searchable library with tools, tips, and videos, and letter generators to ensure that you are asking for the right help in the right way from your child's school. MyEdGPS doesn't just provide the roadmap, it joins you on the journey. Let's say the first step is requesting an evaluation for your child. MyEdGPS guides you to fill out the letter template, ensuring that all required elements are covered. Once generated electronically, the letter is stored in your binder and can be sent straight to the school. Meanwhile, your calendar begins tracking the timeline set by your state and provides reminders along the way so you stay on top of the process. In some cases, you may need more hand-holding, more specialized services or resources, or may just want live guidance. MyEdGPS connects you directly with pre-screened experts that are ready to help you directly or as part of your employer's benefits offering. This valuable advice is made more accessible to you and your family, allowing you to focus your resources and attention on what really matters. Sign up today at myedgps.com and let us help you turn roadblocks into a road map for your child. So that makes it sound like a, a, a incredibly comprehensive you know, solution for a family who is just overwhelmed because they don't know where to begin when they find out that their kid has special needs. But you tell me, is that is that what I'm what we're supposed to yeah, take? Yeah, and from I mean, that? I think as as you know, um, when you get into this, and when I say get into this, you're either realizing upon birth or somewhere on that development trajectory that something's not typical or something's a little off, or you know, the flags up, um, and and. At that point, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, and that's part of it. Um, you know, do you need to have a diagnosis? Does mm -hmm. it help you? Does it hurt you? Where are you served? Do you get resources through early intervention? How does that whole thing work? Do you go to your doctors? Do you, you know, go to the right. school? How do you, you know, make, that, make sense of that whole kind of complex thing? What we try to do through, um, you know, the, the software platform is give them a nice kind of cushiony place to fall. Right. And then to say, okay, we're going to ask you some questions. So MyEdGPS, the system, uh, when you come in, asks you questions about where you are in the process with your child. You could be at the very beginning when you're just sensing something's wrong and need to, you know, start to figure things out. Or you could be down the pike and battling with the school and trying to figure out what your rights are and things like that. Or considering a you know, private school or, hey, is my kid ready for college? Uh, or are we talking about some alternative or, you know, for someone with more uh, profound uh, challenges, how are we going to ride into our sunset as parents and, you know, where does that... Uh, where does that go? So first off, we've been talking about autism, but I take it this is for uh, a litany of different diagnoses, yeah. right? Any type, and, and we get that question all the time, yeah. which is, you know, is this for 
uh, does it cover this diagnosis? You know, ADHD or learning disabilities or uh, you know physical, uh, you know, you name it. Um, and, and the universal answer is yes. I mean, we do drill down on all these kind of diagnostic areas to give more information. But really, when it comes down to it, as I think you know, you know and can appreciate, it's all about this process. You know, starting with uh, making observations and getting evaluations and things like that, and figuring out where you go to get it because, you know, you could, you know, go and uh, seek help from the doc, and all of a sudden the doc sends you, you know, the GP, general practitioner sends you, or the pediatrician sends you to a specialist, mm-hmm. a developmental pediatrician, or to a uh, child neuropsychologist, and you know, all these different routes and it's just overwhelming you don't know kind of where to go and who pays for it and all that so that's what we try to demystify I find yeah what what most people do is when their kid gets diagnosed is that the first person they call is usually just some friend that knows about it or <laughs> yeah. some friend that knows sure. and so that's you know what um, you know what I do as a special needs planner uh, dovetails you know uh, very nicely what with your product Adam and that's why you and I are, I know are going to continue to talk about how we can <laughs> about how we can help each other personally Absolutely. but but what I do for my clients is I, I try to that's why I tell people I go when when you're at that overwhelming moment where you don't know where to begin because it is just as you say lawyers therapists educational advocates housing experts benefits experts you I mean and so what I I give people the first time I meet them I give them a spreadsheet which has got a whole list of different people and I say this is what I do with my clients I may manage their money and their investments but that here's the list of people you need to know and if it gives you comfort every time we get together we're gonna check these boxes but let's get back to sort of how so to me that this this story is developing here like you know you needed the the sort of compliment to what your mom does which is pretty specific to educational placement your service you've mentioned the the web product is that the the core of your business a web product to help families and it was gonna be almost like choose your own adventure uh, for those of us who remember that type of thing, right. um, or you know, in in today's kind of uh, you know comparison, TurboTax for you know special needs or special ed navigation. So yet at, at that point, you're thinking the way not to not to cut the virtue out of it, but your business model would be the employers would pay you to set up these these programs. Is, is that's that right? right. Okay. Yeah, and they benefit on a number of fronts from that, so right. that it's a, a truly you know, a win-win-win for the employees, the employers, um, you know, the children, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And But there's also another piece of it that we honestly kind of stumbled on, which was the notion that this can save on the healthcare front for employers as well, because there's so many resources that are already funded by other mechanisms that they, uh, you know, where parents, where families uh, can go. Whether Your it's through program schools connects. or agencies and things like that, and so we can help them understand, like with our letter generator, um, how to write the right kind of request for evaluation to get into that whole process of getting services through schools, uh, you know, through an IEP. And, and, and that and, is yeah. a, a quagmire, as, uh, as I've is, learned. Absolutely. As I've learned, there's one guy I've met, and I'll, I don't mind mentioning his name. His name's Mike Weiner, and he's. Um, Primarily an, an insurance guy, but he's got a, a kid who's got uh, serious social issues and an adult kid, and he's sued the state many times. In other words, he's gone through every, he's unearthed every last dime under every last rock in this in this state as to what benefits are available, but there's not a really great central playbook for it. So, so you have that component. You re, that component of your business remains. You work. You work with yes. Companies. So that's okay. where. Um, yeah. Uh, so we continue to work 
you know, uh, for employers, organizations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it took us, I don't know, two, three years to build my Ed GPS because it has to be not just content rich, but it has to have all kinds of stuff that manages all of that day to day you know, storage of um, documents and information uh, so they can access these ed plans and um, evaluations, you know, when you're on the road and going to these team meetings at schools, uh, journals of behavior, uh, you know, so there's a whole bunch of So there'll of stuff be a place on the website, for example, you're talking about when um, you go into the school to meet with the school, um, for, for the, those that don't know, an IEP, an individualized education plan is given to any student who's got some sort of diagnosis. And it's it's a negotiation between the school and the parents, right? It is. And so what you you want to arm parents with everything you can, so when they go into that meeting, they're prepared. Is that that's is that, right? And okay. so it's helping these parents be much better advocates for their children. And in order for them to be an advocate, they have to understand the other side of the information equation. Which, you know, for parents, you got a full time job, you're working your tail off. Um, and you've got all this going on, how do you understand what essentially is like a, I don't know, 1,200 page uh, set of regulations for right. one part of it? Yeah. Uh, and, and so that needs to be demystified. They don't do this for a living. They're not practitioners. They're not diagnosticians. They're not a, you know, special needs uh, and special ed attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we're trying to do is boil that down into really accessible, bite-sized chunks that's also organized as the step-by-step. -step. So it says here, we're going to, based on where you are in your life and your process with your child and what your you know, struggles are right now, we're gonna lead you down a particular path that's gonna be different from someone else who comes into the system. Right. And then we're going to point you in the direction of resources. We're gonna give you specific action steps to come back and tell us you've completed those milestones. Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna track the progress of that and we're gonna help you manage the day-to-day -day kind of paperwork and administrative stuff like a virtual assistant and a virtual advocate. So tell us how it works. Like. Do, do people pay a fee to subscribe to Maya GPS? Or? Well, so uh, we're working right now just through employers. So uh, we're urging folks to go to their employers and say, hey, this would be a great thing to offer. It can really you know, provide a lot of help. We will uh, offer direct to consumer at some point, but mm -hmm. it for us was, uh, I think, the smart thing to do to get this out um, very quickly at scale. If there are companies that hear this podcast and want to know about how they implement it, Yes. Visit no, the absolutely. website or okay. Yeah, They'll visit the website. Yeah. Um, you know, the name of our company is Encompass Education Solutions Inc. The brand of the uh, program, the platform is My Ed GPS. By the way, as long as we're plugging things, your 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 mom Leslie's outfit is called the Goldberg Center for Educational Planning. Goldberg Center for Educational Planning. Yeah, and that's at uh, edconsult.org. Okay. Ed's another Ed again. Ed again. Yeah, it's all about it's Ed. Um, I also promised <laughs> I'd, I'd give a shout out to. I, I happen to know that um, if you won't say it, that your uh, your attorneys at Gesmer Updegrove have been um, instrumental in helping you. Uh, right. Would you like to compliment them? Okay. Oh, one hundred percent. All right. I've done my. Just came over from their offices. My know, pal so. Nancy Kremens is over there, and she's <laughs> um, she's tremendous. And so, um, hey, this is about the professional. We're allowed to name drop here, right? Absolutely. And there's right. great lawyers over at Gesmer up to grow. That's no right. Doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, except for Chuck Rodman, he's terrible. He's, he's awful. <laughs> he's, no, he's he's a friend as well. And he's and, great. And that one other person that you were bad, bad mouthing earlier. Oh, I won't. I won't name him. Yeah, we cut it out. Yeah. 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 
Exactly. <laughs> it's been taken out. Okay. Um, listen, Adam, this has been great. And you know what? We will have you back because we want to continue to be updated on Maya GPS and everything you got going on. Max, do you have any further penetrating questions for uh, Adam here <laughs> before we cue the, the, the band in the back here? No, no, I think next time we have Adam, I'd like to hear about some success stories, some, some human beings that have... have uh, have been affected. I think that'll be a good topic for next I take time. it, yeah. you know, that's yeah. the goal. I mean, uh, the number of Happy families you can share. help. Happy to share. There's been tears and hugs and all the above in some of these companies. So, Great. Thanks for joining us, Adam Goldberg, My Ed, GPS, and we'll see you next time on Unbillable Boston. Hello, Max Perlman, and hello, Sarah Worley. Thanks for being here again. Uh, We're contractually required to be here, Dave. Right. And for those listening at home, Sarah just waved to the microphone, <laughs> which is, I think, akin to uh, President George Bush waving at Stevie Wonder. Um, you know, I'm really actually offended <laughs> <laughs> on so many different levels, but thank you. Yes, you're absolutely right. Well, uh, if it was offensive, I apologize, you're, but you're all fine. in the name of humor. Anyway, so we're here with Ned Sahin, who joins us today. Now, Ned and I got introduced recently, and... As we will do on the show, we like to have entrepreneurs who are working on innovative things. And Ned is a big shot in the in the world of technology when it comes. And he's shrugging humbly, but I, I assure you, I, I keep hearing his name. Uh, you might have seen Ned on the news in, in recent months. His company, BrainPower, has developed a way to use the Google Glass. Now, if you don't know what that is, you're going to find out very soon, in therapy for kids individuals with autism and maybe other disorders as well but Ned we're gonna have you uh, give us the straight dope but welcome welcome to the show thank you it's great to be here and you know to get a visual that you can google Ned. he's a dashing looking guy and he's always wearing the Google Glass and when we met he shows up wearing the glass and that was the way we I was able to find him in a, in a in a crowded bar and I said the first thing I said to him was so do you always wear those and he looked a little offended and then I realized for someone who's a, a, a devotee of Google Glass it's probably not the right question to ask but because when you wear them you really it really is sort of uh, part of what part of your way of life is that fair to say or well it is and I've made it really particularly part of my life both professionally and personally and I could say scientifically as well but part of the reason I wear it a lot is to see how it feels to do so and that also means not just personally but how others react to it so I'm used to reactions like yours and I was kind of playing it along there and it's perfectly normal what's interesting is that within a short space of a few seconds even a person wearing it and, and or the person looking uh, becomes pretty used to it right now, for those that haven't seen it, I mean, you can do a quick, um, as it were, Google search for Google Glass, and you'll see you'll see images of it. it. It looks like a pair of glasses, right? But there are no lenses. But they have the the there are the little what do you call these? The uh, you know the nose guards or nose whatever. You, you people are of no, no help. Why do I Sorry. have you here? <laughs> Say something. Things? What are these things? I don't know. That it's the you know the the thing that balances on your nose. Anyway, those are there, but there are no lenses. And then there is what I described as sort of a just a, a gadgety looking, almost prism thing that extends partway, about halfway, sort of across your your pupil. So if you're wearing them, you still have three quarters of your vision, as it were, completely unimpeded because it's only on one of the eyes. 
Am I doing a good job at this at all? It, it probably you guys are. We're just gonna edit keep it going. Out. Okay, yeah, this is all coming out. This is terrible. Uh, no, but so the idea being that you can see the what appears to be sort of a little computer screen as you just look forward. But but tell us, Ned, is the idea to be able to see that whole thing? Is it a distraction of real life or a compliment or what? The idea is to be able to interface with the world as you already know it and get more information at the right time. Mm -hmm. So, so a person wearing it sees the person he's talking to, he or she is talking to, the rest of the world, and then hovering just above and in the line of sight or just out of the line of sight is a computer screen that gives you information. Mm -hmm. And of course it also has a camera and GPS and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and a computer that's probably stronger than what many people used uh, professionally you know, five, ten years ago. And, um, and a microphone and speaker and so forth. This is really one of those Jetsons moments where I think we all have to catch ourselves. you know. Like, to me, the GPS is one of those things. The GPS now is, is commonplace for all, but when you actually stop and think of what a GPS is, a, a little device that has a map of every road in the United States, it's pretty stunning. The Google Glass is similar in that the, the computer that he's referring to is about the size of really like a pen. It's almost like the size of just a, a ballpoint pen or maybe a little bit more sort of running along the side of the the brim of the brim. What do you call this part? Rim, rim. And the actually, rim of the glass. Right? You know, the computer itself is an inch and a half long. The rest here, there's the battery, this is the optic system. Mm -hmm. This is a you know, like an inert rim here, quite a fancy one. It's a yeah. uh, titanium alloy that's completely flexible. But really, Ned the computer is, is part... bending it now and just showing us how it won't it won't break. It's it's like one of those picture like uh, the strongest pair of like sunglasses you ever have, where you can bend it every which way and it's not breakable. Totally amazing. But the computer is an inch and a half long and very uh, eight millimeters thin and quite amazing. So tell us, give us before we get to your company, tell us a couple of uses of Google Glass that you foresee in the future of how people use it sort of everyday life. Well, in the future, yeah, there's going to be so many possibilities. Picture anything that you do where maybe your hands are a little bit busy. This is something that's going to get you information, but also connected to the world. Um, maybe not as many people listening out there are surgeons, but uh, if you're a surgeon or if you're cooking or if you're doing carpentry or if you are fixing something, some piece of equipment, Certainly, you can see technical diagrams, next step, the item next to put into whatever you're cooking on the screen and or get information. Top of that, since it has a camera and it can be looped into a two-way communication, someone else can be looking through your eyes at whatever it is that you are doing and instructing you. And even seeing here, your hand is coming into view. No, no, to the left. Okay, right there. Got it. Now turn that dial. No, 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 not that much. Okay, good. You know, it's real-time interactive. Now that's kind of interesting and neat, but imagine if you're the single doctor in a uh, 100 square mile area in sub-Saharan Africa and you're treating a patient. Now someone else is looking through your eyes and seeing visual signs of disease or disorder and instructing you on what to do. Or in meanwhile saying, okay, now test them, touch here, ask that question, try out this, this particular thing. And suddenly this one doctor has the combined, combined um, uh, abilities and the compendium of knowledge of a team of doctors distributed around the world in all time zones. And that's so, the kind of thing that you can do easily already with this current device, let alone with add-on software. So that, and that the applications seem limitless, so you're painting the picture of a doctor in some remote location 
who is perhaps under dire uh, circumstances, needs to perform some procedure on someone, gets in touch with the doctor who knows exactly how to do this someplace else in the, on the planet, and sees what through the Google Glass, sees what in the corner of his or her eye? Well, I mean, the remote doctor sees whatever's going on. We have this five megapixel camera on permanently, uh, not permanently, but in that situation it would be. And then the person who is um, produ doing the action, whether it's a doctor or some uh, mechanic or any specialist uh, or generalist with the benefit of a remote specialist, that person can see bit-by-bit bit information, one thing that the person would just send to the screen, or a live demo of what it is exactly he's supposed to do, or an overlay that would overlay on top of the thing, the, the person, the equipment. Um, In other words, the, the doc wearing the Google Glass could be instructed precisely where to move yeah, his or her hand. absolutely. In real time, and then you're also hearing the other person remotely or people because it has a bone conduction speaker, meaning it sounds like it's right inside your head, what you're hearing. So that that is the an incredibly powerful way, I mean, that, that this device could be used to save lives. Of course, I must confess, what I'm picturing is the call you get when it's like, honey, I can't get the sound work to work on the TV downstairs. What do I have to press? And then, and that, now I imagine... <laughs> Getting aside, that'll be a thing, right? Like you will set up your new, um, you know, st I want to say stereo. That that's probably outdated as well. What a your projector or your your right, right? You mess up your new a truck or or some device that you need to program. You'll hit the the appropriate place on Google Glass, and it'll show you where to put your hands. Okay, now turn this knob a little bit to the left, and now do this, and now absolutely right? automated or with a remote consultant, which could be an 11-year-old kid somewhere, because he'll probably know it better than you. Let's talk about how it might impact uh, human interactions and, and networking. I, I, I've heard that there's facial recognition uh, capabilities where you can walk down the street, and as you're walking down the street, you can, the, the glass will recognize who you're walking past. So and if it's a friend of yours, someone you know, perhaps, right? Right. So may, maybe yeah. you have on your your all your Facebook. You can tell if somebody who's one connection away from you is walking right. down the street. I mean, maybe that's not now, but I'm thinking that's amazing. Next generation. But to tell us, is that possible, Ned? Technically, that's extremely possible. Google is very sensitive to something that I term, uh, or I, I think of as features that you want to have but you don't want someone else to have and and Google Glass typifies that in so many ways because you want to and you do in practice Google people as you meet them you meet someone in a bar or restaurant you're, you're on your phone a moment later maybe you slip off to the gentleman's room to be uh, at least discreet but it's you don't want to I've never done that ever bathroom googling <laughs> oh, come on you I'm just kidding I do it all the time but you don't want someone else to do it or at least it, it could make you feel a little bit uh, well, it's, it's awkward, but right. in fact it happens. So, but Google doesn't want to be on the front lines of making that uh, particularly easy because they know that it can be intrusive. It also is going to happen with all manner of devices, but they don't want us developers to be spending much uh, time on or to do 
facial recognition per se, which is different from face detection, the fact that there's a face there, which is quite important for any social right. interchange, and I'll discuss that later. But it, uh, but it certainly is extremely possible to recognize faces. We know it when Facebook, you upload a, an image and it says, is this so-and-so? It's pretty good by now because it's trained statistically on hundreds of thousands, if not hundreds of millions of photos um, on potentially daily basis. So it's extraordinary, it's possible, and why would that be useful? So why, would it, why are they worried? Because it's invasive, potentially. Once we get used to it, and I think in two to five years we'll be very used to that sort of thing, then, oh well, big deal, everyone's doing it. But at first, it's, it's potentially a little troubling. But why is it so useful? Not just, last time I talked to you, you told me your, your dog died, and now we can start from there and we can continue. But uh, as we think about the future of larger and larger populations of humans encroaching on each other. There's potential for more discord and war, but there's also potential for um, understanding. And it's hard to understand someone from another culture, with another language, and if this device is both translating your language, maybe translating what they're thinking and feeling based on facial gestures uh, and other gestures that are locally specific, how deep they bow and so forth, and then telling you something about that person, reminding you something you said last time. I mean, these have very good and important humanitarian things, not just basic networking. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment because we're talking with Ned Sahan, telling us about Google Glass, but we're going to hear about his company, BrainPower, and what it is doing for the special needs community. So stay with us on Unbillable Boston. This is Mark Freiberger of Freiberger and Washenko, and you are listening to Unbillable Boston. <laughs> and we're back on Unbillable Boston. Here we are, David Yaz, Max Perlman, and Sarah Worley here in the palatial HRW. That's Hirsch Roberts Weinstein uh, at studios, oh, do we have a name, Max, for the for the recording studio that we're sitting in? It's just the HRW Studios. Right. It looks suspiciously like a conference room, but uh, I'm willing to go with it. HRW Studios. Absolutely. The furniture we, is outstanding. The furniture. I got it at, uh, at, at Sarah's Discount Furniture. <laughs> People are going to think this is the most fly-by-night operation. We're working off of my iPad, we're working off of Sarah's furniture, and and the conference room in Max's office that nobody uses. It's actually quite nice. Now we're sitting here with uh, with Ned Sayin, who is the CEO of BrainPower, a company that has a partnership with Google in order to uh, equip the Google Glass for some very interesting things which Ned is going to tell you about. But we just had an interesting moment where we wanted to go down Ned's bio and what we got was, now see if you guys remember. Sarah, do you remember? Because he's got se- Ned has several degrees from several Ned schools went, that you've heard of. Attended Williams. Correct. Where he got what? Where he got, I assume, his bachelor's degree. Undergraduate and degree. Oxford. And from right. Oxford, he went to MIT for his master's and Harvard for his PhD. Wow! Give the woman a uh, prize for that. Well done, Sarah. No, no, hold on. Actually, did, what, did what, she, what elementary school did he go to? <laughs> I'm actually not allowed to say. Did she get that right? Okay. All right. Ned, from what I know of Ned so far, he's a humble guy, so he probably doesn't want to go on and on, but did you get that right? Did you get the degrees right? Oh, she got, she got everything right. right. I mean, it's amazing. It's okay, amazing. so we've been talking about the Google Glass and, and the absurd possibilities of, of this device, and I mean that in, in a good way. You could let your imagination run wild as to what the Google Glass could possibly be useful 
for in the future. Just real quick, people can't buy this yet, right? Google Glass has been in a beta program, the Explorer program, for, uh, I don't know, a year and a half. I got it in August 2013. And recently, it graduated from the beta program now to being its own division at Google. And they're going to do a consumer release. I can't talk about when exactly that's going to be. I'm under NDA. They're Everybody, hold them down. We're going to make them tell us. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Meanwhile, they are continuing their interaction with companies in the enterprise division of this whole thing, companies like, like mine, and we have full and complete access to devices of this generation and, uh, and or any future generation devices as may or may not exist, if I were to be able to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, I don't mind saying we, we still have um, Tom Hoops in the, in the, in the house here, um, and, and Tom, um, you're an expert at making sure what not to say to the media when it comes to a sensitive criminal case. How's he doing? He's doing fabulous. He's doing fabulous. He's increased his sales by mystery here, 5,000%. <laughs> not that this is a criminal matter, of course, but it is as, as tight-lipped as that as one might be in talking to the media and such things. But So, Ned, uh, your company's brain power. Uh, tell us about how you came up with the idea for this and, and how it jibes with Google Glass. Well, I think that actually is a perfect question. I was just, I spent today at MIT and they were doing a career fair. They invited me in to present, and it's actually where I had the epiphany for this. But let's let's step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I had done my my PhD, as you mentioned, and then postdoc and fellowship out in San Diego at, at Salk and UCSD. I was going along in this academic trajectory. Had papers in science and nature neuroscience, and that's supposed to mean something. It probably doesn't mean that much to you guys in this room, and that's exactly my point. That outside of your own field your scientific works are sometimes hard to access. And I really wanted to help people in their daily lives. I also had done some portable brain monitoring work for the Army and others, and I I thought, hmm, Google Glass is coming out. I'm going to do something cool with this that relates to measuring brain states and cognitive states of human beings in some way, and I want it to be helpful, but I didn't know what. And then I was sitting front row at an all-day symposium at MIT on autism, which I knew about tangentially as a neuroscientist, but not in great detail, particularly not about how many needs were unmet of these families, millions of families even in just this country, who wrestle with the challenges of helping a person with autism develop. Mm -hmm. And I realized that Google Glass could help. How, you might wonder? I actually know the answer, but that I, I, it's unfair because. <laughs> but and, and I'll and I'll let you tell the story. But um, and I talk about it on the on the podcast all the time. But my 16 year old son Adrian has autism, and so I'm familiar with a lot of the the therapy. And there there is I'm going to set you up really nicely here. The I, well, from what I know of of uh, Adrian's therapy and the kind of things that therapists do to try to get the the challenge is to try to get the child with autism to. Uh, express appropriate language. They're really good at repeating things over and over again. Uh, my son likes to repeat lines from Alvin and the Chipmunks, for example. But what you want to do is prompt them to focus on the person in front of them and to speak appropriately. And so tell us how that relates to, to your product and your company. Well, thanks a lot. So as I mentioned, Google Glass 
has a lot of circuitry inside, it measures the motions of your head 100 times per second. It also has this camera and computer so you can look at what else is out in the world and with our software we can recognize when there's a face nearby. So you just put those two together and right away you see we can detect when there's a face nearby and detect whether the child is looking directly at and or parent calls a child's name. Does the child look? And when? Unbelievable. On, on which repeat? And the, chi and the parent is exasperated and, and yelling and says, why won't you look at me? Well, you, we can see now, child still hasn't looked, is there a sign, a physiological sign, that the child is aware? And maybe is even aware of that emotional moment, but doesn't choose to or uh, doesn't want to look. So we get the motion data, we get the emotion data. And we're doing that right now from signs of autonomic arousal, which just means eye blinks and heart rate and breathing rate and so forth. So we're combining actual scientific data with a video game-like experience that encourages the kid to look at the person speaking to. And before you get to the... See, I know this already because you and I have chatted about it, Ned, the, this... Uh, uh, very cleverly incorporates. Am I allowed to say the thing about? The, I'll take it out if I'm if I'm not. But the Angry Birds thing. Am yeah. I allowed to, okay, we'll talk about the Angry Birds thing. The public doesn't have much to go on with regards to autism. We have Rain Man. It's what thirty years old and twenty five. Uh, tw wow. Just last you, year, the twenty fifth anniversary. There you go. And <laughs> we don't have that much. And I think there's unfortunately a little myth out there about people with autism that they're not actually experiencing the emotion. And I would contend that. In fact, they're experiencing the emotion, maybe slightly differently, but they're not giving the visual signs of it. And I want to do solid scientific study on that question. Others have, but we're going to do it in this particular way so that we see at that moment, in real time, in the home, not in a lab, does this child show signs that he is and she is perfectly aware of mm -hmm. that emotion and that socially relevant moment but just not giving the signs that the person, the neurotypical adult, is expecting. Tell us more about how brain power can potentially unlock that, and tell us about the Angry Birds thing. So, perfect segue when you say there's so much to unlock, and I named the company Brain Power on the idea that there's so much raw power in the brain of someone with autism that is perhaps unfortunately locked in, inaccessible, because of an interface issue they're interfacing with the world in a way that's different and the world is not well trained enough to know how to interface back with them and so someone who could do a really really good job every single day except that one interview day at a new employer site um, may not get that opportunity because the interview doesn't go that well and uh, it could be as simple as the person is just not looking the interviewer in the eye if you don't look at someone in the eye, they think maybe at best you're disinterested or maybe disingenuous and possibly dysfunctional. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. Someday we'll learn how, the whole culture will learn how to speak to people with autism. But that's not happening on Tuesday. So very soon and now and for your child out there to get a job, move out of the home, we need certain life skills. But that's all they are. They're life skills. These are not autism skills and these are not medical treatments. They're life skills like social engagement, controlling your own behaviors, language. And so we're trying to help people themselves learn certain life skills. But those are, we've particularly chosen those ones that are particular challenges 
on average for people on the spectrum. So Ned, to, to put maybe an example to this, for folks that, that don't know, I'll use an example of someone with Asperger's syndrome, which is on the, the autism spectrum, the high functioning level of it, but folks with Asperger's will appear, for lack of a better word, sort of off. And if, if we think back to people we went to school with, there was always the kid that seemed a little bit off, never really looked you in the eye, and what he, what he became was the weird kid. He or she became the weird kid, the odd kid. And it's, it, the Asperger's cases are very tragic because they have a lot, they, they appear to be very high functioning, and they are, but they have a lot of trouble forming relationships, and, so, and, they're, and they're potentially very intelligent. So to bring it back to exactly what you just said, picture a person with Asperger's who is high functioning enough to take care of themselves, but absolutely they will face a challenge in trying to win a job when they can't look the interviewer in the eye. Am, am I barking up the right tree here? That's yeah, absolutely right, and it, perhaps it's more tragic because there's more potential there. Who knows? It's why adjudicate that. Nonetheless, the need is felt very acutely. It turns out also more people are joining the spectrum at that end than the other end. More people are now being diagnosed in the high-functioning end of the spectrum. So I didn't know um, that. You've stumped me on an autism uh, point of information. Yeah, or it's, it's a greater well growing done. part of the, uh, the, the Gaussian distribution. I'll, I, I, will, uh, I will absolutely take your word for it. May I ask so, one question about the use of the research? Because I've, I've spent a lot of time with David and um, with Adrian's mother and seen that they are, I assume, um, incredibly well-educated about autism They're, and very progressive in working with Adrian, but there've got to be parents out there who are not. So it sounds as though if you take your the data that this mechanism collects about at what point is it that a child will turn to his mother's voice, to be able to show a parent that data so a parent can understand, okay, he's not just being defiant. There's, there's actually yeah. a breakdown here that you can up the education level on the side of the parents too and create a better functioning family unit. Absolutely. We want to give hope. We want to give the answer to this question, does my child know I love him? And can he love back? And that is just at the center of it. And we, you know, can we do that with a device? Can a device help humans love each other? Well, it seems very strange, but it's possible because as you say, if we can say the message is being received, you just don't know it because it's not being displayed, then that's amazing. Can we get there? Yes. Are we there yet? You know, we're starting. We're starting down a very long road. You don't get out of this easy, not in on the entrepreneurial space, not as a parent. So, but we are, we're heading there for the I, parents and for society at large. I can tell you, Sarah, that the, the data that is collected now for kids on the spectrum is uh, a therapist or an aide or whoever, however well-meaning, is recording with, with hash marks in a notebook the number of outbursts per week, the number of times that the, the kid exhibited, uh, you know, echolalia, which is like, you know, repeat, making certain sounds or repeating th certain things all over again. And we do, as a parent, I can tell you, we get this data, but you have to take it with a, a grain of salt because it's, it's, it's pretty crude. What, what, Ned is talking about the possibilities of, of, of this kind of data is it's staggering. But tell me about so you showed me this this game. That, I'll, show, that I'll I, tell you about this. Yeah, sorry, sorry it. to catch sorry. attention. So we'll uh, for, well on the data segue because um, of course I'm very interested in this kind of thing. Can you imagine not getting an IEP report, some kind of report, a few times a year, 
qualitative, saying he's still on the spectrum and doing medium well, but rather getting a thousand data points in a day for uh, how many times the child looked at a face or repetitive behaviors. Maybe you could get a report that says your child sent 71 minutes today rocking, and now next day 65, and, and so forth. These are very numerical. We can get numerical data from the software itself. 700 times today a face was in view, but only 62 times did the person wearing the device actually look directly at that face versus peripheral. And that's the segue to the part that David was talking about. So one thing we do is we detect where the face is in any given frame of the video feed, and we turn it into a cartoon. So let me go into further detail. So any given frame that comes through, we look through all possible rectangles for one that could contain a face or multiple that could contain faces. Then describe the oval and then superimpose an image, for instance, of a well-cartooned red bird-like figure since I don't have angry the copyright birds, yeah. to Angry Birds. Oh, am um, I allowed to say it? <laughs> you can say it. But. I would say that it looks it looked uh, strikingly like the the red Angry Bird, whatever that is. <laughs> Most people know what that is. It's a very popular video game app, what have you. Go ahead. It has nothing to do with this. Exactly. Well, right. But, it has uh, nothing to do with this. And uh, <laughs> my apologies to the Angry Birds people if we violated a trademark. But anyway, this, go ahead. Then. But this not this trademark-free image, which I bought from an artist <laughs> that is red and bird-like. Maybe the uh, bird isn't quite that angry. Maybe he's just slightly perturbed. <laughs> this, right. This, this image, right? Uh, this avian entity in a moment of existential peak is superimposed on the person's face. No, but seriously, the child looks and suddenly his father is this bird. It's kind of interesting. His mother becomes some character from Frozen and suddenly it's interesting. The point is to catch the interest when a face is in the periphery and then when the child looks directly at the face, boom, the cartoon goes away, the face is there and the person gets a point. It's a video game of regular human interactions. So, I'm sorry, Ned, continue. Did I, did well, I, then, I, I, and then I, on I, top I, of yeah. that, you know, I'm looking at a face, but it's not something I do every day, let's say, if I'm on the spectrum. So what's the value? What am I going to get out of that interaction? The next thing we do is decompose that face and look for signs like the lip curl or eye crinkle that indicate a smile or a frown and decode the emotions. So when I look at you, I get an assist, a little emoticon floating next to your face with a highly stylized, cartoonified version of what you're supposedly feeling based on that expression. On top of the facial expressions, we're looking at tone of voice and other things. So it's an all-encompassing sense of what is going on right now in this other person's mind. So Ned, and uh, we're going to have to have you back to hear about how um, your company is progressing and we will do so because I want to be there at that moment when this is actually available for every kid with autism to be able to put these Google Glass on and begin progressing and learning and, and um, benefiting from these amazing things. So <clears throat> I'm going to do my part, Ned, to make sure the people that are passionate about autism therapy and awareness know about your company but for those listening tell people how they can get more information how they can get in touch with you thank you so much i mean it's very sweet words and and we're brain power is the name of the company brain-power.com so www.brain-power.com and all the information is there 
Uh, we don't have brainpower.com because someone in San Diego owns it and is not using it and won't sell it to me. So oh, my goodness. Just so you know, Alan Brainin, uh, <laughs> who owns that. Uh, so if anyone has Get connection to together, that person, Alan, come on. then we would use it for a good use. Right. But in any case, brain-power.com. And I really look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much, anyone who wants to write in. Very good. Ned, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And we will continue to update the, the, the progress of, of brain power. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you. It was fun. It was, uh, needless to say, enlightening. And brain power, really check it out. You should learn. Thanks for everyone today who joined us on the program. UnbillableBoston.com is where you find us. See you next time. How do I do?